Welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk. This clip originally aired on our YouTube channel, which is Real Drug Talk over on uh, YouTube. We would love it if you head over there and subscribe if you haven't already. If you have subscribed and you're part of the channel, just go and watch as many fucking chan- uh, many videos as you can <laughs> um, and get our presence up on the tube. Uh, we're putting in a bit of effort over on YouTube um, to try and reach more people and provide some more hope. Uh, if you like what we're doing and what we're putting out, um, leave us a review and um, some stars to say that we're awesome. Um, follow us and subscribe to the podcast. Again, it helps us hack the algorithm a little bit and boosts us up through the ranks. Um, nevertheless, let's jump into the show. Oh, quickly, sorry. If you want to listen to the full episode of this podcast, I believe this clip is taken from let me just bring it up here i believe it's episode 58 but let me just double check and confirm that uh yeah episode 58 afl premiership players double life that's where this clip is from it's with gavin krasiska um i hope you guys enjoy peace the other thing that i just wanted to quickly talk about because it sounds like it was a big part of your story and something that you do now, which I think, um, you know, uh, is really important. Something that needs to come more into fruition in Australia um, is that intervention side of things, you know, because yeah. when you look at like the spectrum of drug use and you get into those um, ends of like when it's an addiction, a big component of that, as you said, is is denial. and And sometimes by not, sticking our hand in the fire and trying to pull people out like we we let them kind of burn do you reckon like is that something that you want to see change look families in general the research and the information we have is that when some someone in your family sort of notices something goes geez that's not quite right with jack his behavior or what he's doing you know by the time they actually do something um positive or productive about it they generally say it's between five and seven years yeah so in that five or seven years, if you've started off just starting to probably use and mum or dad are starting to see the changes and so forth, if they can do something different in year one, like you don't become fully blown addicted by year seven and completely hopeless and helpless and messy. So that's right. And then even on top of that, like what you said, that five to seven year part, when I was watching that um, Addicted Australia SBS show or whatever, they were saying that on average, when you, when you average it out, there's, there's a 18 year delay in yeah. help seeking once you actually get to that seven year point and you make contact with the service. So yeah. it's crazy to let people keep going on, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, and, and the intervention process is about bringing the pink elephant that all the family see, bring that, and the, the pink elephant is the addict in the family or the person that's behaving the way they're behaving, bring the elephant into the middle of the room and actually let everyone in the family be able to support and love this person. So yeah. when 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 there's no when that process isn't in place, the pink elephants out there doing what they want to do, behaving the way they want to behave, and then the family they're almost behaving like addicts anyway. They're manipulating, they're splitting, they're doing all the things you know because they're not sure on what's happening over there. And oh, should I tell him? Should he, does he need to know? There's too many secrets. There's dishonesty. It's just that web of addiction that you and I. Um, wrapped around our families. Like you yeah. did the same thing to your mum and, and people associated with you and tangled them into the, into the addiction web. 
Um, and that's what happens. They, that's why families get so unwell because they sort of, they step back. Nicole stepped back at certain stages and said, what? She thought she was going mad. Yeah. Like she only knows now that she wasn't, but during it, she thought with the shit that I used to say and the lies and the cons and the manipulation, she legitimately thought she was going crazy. And, and that's a knack of what we do. But the reason why I did that was to keep her away um, and to keep her, um, I guess, further away from the truth and not knowing what was really going on for me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. And I, I actually couldn't agree more. I, I think that the way that we intervene in the, and the, and the space to just kind of um, do like what they do in suicide prevention, where they put heaps of work into families to upskill yeah. them, to notice the signs, because, you know, people might go to a service for an hour or two hours a day. They don't go to rehab, but then the family's left with them for, you know, the rest Oof. of the hours, you know? So yeah. and they're the ones that bear the brunt of, of, yeah. of the, of the addiction or, or the drug use. Yeah. And that's the other component of, of, of when you go through the intervention, we Belinda and well, Belinda's been very successful with, with hers. Um, the other component of it is that once we have the family together and, and we don't go to the intervention, we don't believe in that component of it. When the family can actually do that with their loved one, well, it's a really loving, caring space. And, and yeah. if they don't go, at least the addict knows that the family are, are there. Yeah. So they may go out and still behave the way they're doing, but then you can start helping the family change because we offer a three to six month um, aftercare plan program for all of them. Yeah. Um, but if the addict doesn't go into recovery, like we, we support the family in, in helping them set their boundaries and what they, um, I guess, how they want to live their life without being entangled with that. So, and I think as soon as one person in the family can change, like you, you would have heard about the roles that people in families play, whether you're the enabler or, you know, whoever it may be in the family, you know, once the, if it's dad, who's the really strict one, once dad can be, can become really soft and vulnerable with his son, who's an addict, like yeah. that just changes the dynamics. So yeah. it's about all of us being able to change and do things differently. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a massive segment of the space that's not looked at and there's no attention put into it. So mm. just, just, Going back, because I think it's interesting. It's something that everyone, I think, wants to hear about. Um, and and please do it like as much as you can without getting yourself into trouble and all that sort of stuff, of course. But like, yeah, the show's called Real Drug Talk. Like we try and be honest here. Like let's talk about Melbourne, but I'm sure it happens in all cities across Australia, um, all places in the country any sporting code but like if i'm talking about afl like everybody knows right like just in friendship circles like if you go to a barbecue or something you're talking about the footy or whatever like people will say to you oh yeah like that player he's fucking on it or like like and yeah. everybody knows who's doing what but then when it gets to the level of actually meaningfully having the conversation um in those sporting communities or or in the community at large it doesn't happen you know so would you like how much of a problem is drug use or addiction in like that professional sporting realm from what you've seen like is it something that occurs regularly is it something that happens um i don't really know simply because i don't know what the drug testing statistics are um yeah yep. like that's a, a a conversation in itself in terms of um of what players do and I, and I would just put it down as the 
the general population rules. And I think recently it was 15% use illicit substances, 25% drink alcohol, alcoholically. Yep. So if we just even roll with that, that means there's a lot of... Uh, there's going to be a percentage, yeah. Yeah, 15% of 800 players. Like there's many that are using it, not not a once-off, but more regularly. Yeah. Um, so the illicit drugs policy is in place to try and protect them and to support the players that, that do dabble and, and do that. When you talk about addiction, the biggest addiction issue I think the AFL have when players are playing is gambling. Oh, 100%. So, We've had Alan so, Christensen on talking yeah. about that. Um, amazing to hear. Crazy. Yeah. 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 So the alcohol is a component of it. You know, I don't know whether you can become addicted to alcohol really quickly. I think alcohol is that longer term addiction. 100%. That's why you see alcoholics come in as 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, because they've you know, worn it out, they function and yep. so forth. Um, gambling for, you know, some the guys may use some Coke or some pills or whatever, that's you know, neither here nor there. Um, but the gambling situation when, when they do have um, accessible funds, like that is really dangerous. And, and I'm mm. sure you agree with what I'm about to say, Jack, as in it doesn't matter, well, for me, I should say, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's gambling, whether it's meth, whether it's amphetamines, whether it's cannabis, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's running, you know, whether it's shopping, whatever it is, like once, because I've crossed that line into addiction, I've got to be careful of all those other things. Um, and like swapping the witch for the bitch type thing. So these guys uh, have gambling issues and let's just call them a problem gambler while they're playing. Yep. When you retire and you transition into the normal life and get out of the AFL bubble and your wage drops by two thirds, <laughs> uh, you've got a wife, You've got kids. You've now got a mortgage that you 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 used to be able to afford, but now you may not be able to afford. Like, and you don't have any skills to to work unless you've been able to get some sort of business behind you, which not many are able to. Uh, I'm not sure the percentages, but there's not it wouldn't be 90 percent of players leave footy and have a business to go to. So they're underskilled and underpaid and all those sorts of things. Like that's just a it's an addiction nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect storm. And, yeah, and that and that that transition into into life is and we can talk about this as well what i'm sort of supporting our our Collingwood past players a little bit with or yep. we're wanting to put in more plans and strategies and programs uh so that we can actually really basically have that net and catch them uh before anything happens and have a uh, business networking and and just opportunities for them so during footy yep. careers I, I don't and again i was a little bit different because i believe i was addicted i was an addict before i picked up so right. there's still a few of them out there, I'm sure, as in with the genetic disposition and so forth. Yep. But I don't think they will uh, generally become addicted to drugs while they're playing unless they have those predispositions. Yep. Um, but yeah, the gambling will certainly uh, set the tone uh, mm. for that when they, when they do finish. And that's, you know, you know what it's like. It's a, a huge rush. Um, but it's, you know, in terms of gambling addiction, it you know, creates and causes, you know, the, the worst amount of suicides out of any addiction. Hope you guys enjoyed that little clip from the episode that we did with Gavin. Um, as always, our show is brought to you by our outpatient program, Connection Based Living, where we help people beat addictive patterns without having to go to rehab and be locked away from family and friends and all that sort of stuff. Um, if that's of interest to you, you can find the links um, in the show notes below. Um, as we said before um, in the other show, we're trying to, uh, I guess, build a bit of community around what we're doing. It's starting to 
get a bit of traction, which is cool, but we want to create a two-way conversation. So putting a bit of effort into our email newsletter um, and things like that. Um, well, not things like that, our email newsletter. <laughs> so go and subscribe to that. It's uh, in the description as well. It's called The Hump Day Om. Um, we'll send out an email every Wednesday with a whole bunch of different stuff in it. Um, uh, and also maybe a couple of other emails with anything else interesting that comes about. It's for everyone. It's for professionals in the space. It's for, um, uh, you know, people looking for tips and tricks and hope and inspiration to, you know, turn their life around if they've got addictive patterns in their life. Um, it's for family members. It's for anyone interested. There's a whole bunch of different stuff that will be included in those emails. Um, so, yeah, would really love for you to subscribe and be part of the two-way conversation. Um, it's going to be from my personal email and I want people to respond to me when we send them out if they feel like it or something has resonated and connected with them. So, um Again, guys, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, we'll be vibing in your ears again soon. Peace.